my my territory as a as a college recruiter was California for for BU, and I had to recruit. They gave me the JUCO schools out there. So, you know, now this is 1990, and you know there was no recruiting services. There was you know no internet, and here I am. I'm I'm the old guy now telling the story. So. So what you would do is you would, you know, basically align with some folks within your network to say, hey, who do you know at certain schools that you can say, I'm coming into California, I'm planning on a week trip, I need to know who the top 12 guys are who are identifying positions that we need. So I ended up finding this one gentleman who was a retired athletic director over at Santa Barbara Community College. And um, I went to his house, I flew out there, you know, him and I talked for a while beforehand, here's what I said we're looking for. And I sat down and he had everybody listed out of those schools that would fall into our categories. You know, this is this kid, get into a school, we're looking for skilled guys. And anyway, so we had to lay it out for him. So I was like, I went out there and I was like, this is brilliant, you know? So I didn't have to go to all the schools. I just went to the ones that I thought we'd have a chance of getting a kid to come out. And that's how I started the concept of East Coast recruiting um, services. So I came home from that trip and Right at the end of spring, I said, I'm starting up my own recruiting service, and I left. Gave up coaching, got, went home, got married. Hey, this is Rob Thompson. I'm the director of athletic development and an adjunct with the sport management program at the University of New Haven, author, podcast host, and just a damn friendly guy. You're listening to Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, 4-3 Performance Lab, which has locations in Boone and Wyckoff, New Jersey. Uh, 4-3 offers handcrafted, tailor-made rehabilitation, nutrition, and training for athletes. And I've been around the physical therapy and sports performance world since 2007, and it's safe to say that not all PT practices are created equal. Uh, just as an example, after my knee surgery a few years ago, I developed debilitating kneecap pain, which was completely different from the pain that was addressed in the surgery, which was super annoying. I was eventually prescribed painkillers and anti-inflammatories and still found no relief. I was then basically told that I was screwed, uh, but based on a referral from my high school teammate and NFL fullback, Mike Burton, I began working with Dr. Daniel Clark, and I immediately started uh, to see results, even after just the first treatment session. And I've been working with her and the rest of the team at 4-3 ever since. In my mind, 4-3 is the gold standard for sports rehabilitation and performance. Unlike the PT mills out there, you can expect one-on-one time with your physical therapist and also expert guidance from their technicians. Another thing I love about 4-3 is that they're always ahead of the curve on the latest evidence-based treatment and performance techniques. Some of these include blood flow restriction, which was an absolute game changer in my recovery from knee surgery, heat acclimatization chamber uh, for athletes training in triathlons or marathons in warmer climates, uh, muscle oxygen sensors, VO2 max testing, uh, resting metabolic r- rate testing, customized nutrition plans, a cycling studio where you can measure your FTP and watch Netflix while you're you know, getting your winter workouts in on those Wahoo smart bike trainers. And um, I reaped the benefits of, of that this past winter. Uh, and they also have Titleist TPI experts uh, to help you on the golf course and, and, and so much more. So uh, whenever my family or my friends ask me where to go for 
of PT, without hesitation, I send them over to 4-3. Uh, because pain is not something to, to ignore. And if you live in northern New Jersey like I do, uh, don't wait until it's too late. Listen to your body and book an appointment at, at team43.com. That's team Four is in F-O-U-R, the number three, dot com. Uh, And if you're not in the area, be sure to follow them at Team43 on Instagram. Uh, They're always posting great content to keep you healthy. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today I'm excited to have on Rob Thompson, who is an athletic development and sport management adjunct at the University of New Haven. He's also the founder of Game Plan U. Uh, He's the host of the Sports Biz Radio. Uh, podcast. Uh, and he's also the author of the book, Sports Dream Job Playbook. Um, so I'm really excited to have Rob on today to talk about his own journey uh, to life after uh, football and life after sports and um, kind of how that's evolved in entrepreneurship and into what he's doing now uh, with uh, Game Plan U and kind of paying it forward. So uh, Rob, uh, can you start off by you know telling us the story about you know your own football career and maybe leading into your transition to life after sports? Oh, sure. Well, thanks for having me on, by the way. And uh, as my wife likes to say, don't give him the Hall of Fame speech. Keep it short. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I, I was lucky enough in, in um, to have a career uh, beyond high school, and um, I was an accidental. Uh, I guess guy who kind of went farther than I ever thought I would. And um, I ended up going to the university of new Haven, uh, which was in my backyard. Um, but the interesting thing was I was a prop 48 kid coming out of high school, uh, meaning that I didn't have the certain grade point average that you needed at that time. It, it only applied to the division one, one double a level did not apply to the division two level. So I was able to get a scholarship at the university of new Haven and um the only way I could get into the school was I had to take one class um, right before uh, training camp. And it was so daunting. I mean, it's, you know, a very blue collar family who didn't go to college and mom and dad were just, you know, were just um, hard workers. And I was kind of the first one out the door to do it. And so we didn't really understand the recruiting process or what it meant um, or, Hey, if you don't go to college and, you know, go to the service. So, um, at that time, I really wanted to, and I was recruited by the Naval Academy along with other Division I schools, but because I had my grades the way they were, um, I went to the University of New Haven. Thank goodness they were there to offer me an opportunity to come there. So I went to this class. It was a math class, and then uh, it was a couple other players in there that needed it for the summer. It was a summer class, and it was you know right you know, about a month before camp started, and everything hinged upon whether I passed this class or not. And I had awful grades going to high school, but I enjoyed school. So I never really knew what the issue was. And uh, football for me, and I played lacrosse as well, was kind of my ticket out of that town. It was a very blue-collar town. And um, uh, I wanted out. I wanted out of that area. I wanted out of Connecticut. I really wanted to go. And, uh, but I didn't have that opportunity to. And uh, I was very limited to, you know, um, I, I wasn't in a position to choose a school. A school had to choose me. And uh, it was very, very frustrating. So I did, I took the class and um, what happened was it was a math class. The professor at the time was new, didn't seem any younger than us, um, came up to me uh, before the first, before the second class and said, Hey, you know, I want Rob, I want you to write down a series of numbers. I'm going to give you a series of numbers. I want you to write them down. She did. There were about 12 numbers in a row, wrote them down. She said, I'm going to give you another series and wrote down and come to find out. She looks at me and she goes, you got dyslexia. I said, well, what the hell? She goes, you have dyslexia. No one ever caught that from you. And I said, I caught that. And I said, no. And she goes, well, the good news is I could help you. And she did. And she completely changed my life. 
And it helped me slow down, understand what dyslexia was, understand why I was so frustrated. I could not comprehend any information in school and um, why I was frustrated. And it, and it was just deep, deep, deep rooted emotionally when you just struggle through school. It's not that you didn't apply yourself, you didn't show up. It's just you just couldn't, you just couldn't. Anything that wasn't hands-on, um, art class, you know, um, things that theater, things that I, I, I could actually do. AV, you know, audiovisual club, all those things I was great at, but you know, sitting in a math class or an English class or a science class, I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend. Anyways, so she fixed it and um, it completely changed my life. She, uh, we, we were in a in a great location at the time, um, with you know, we had some great, great players and great coaches. Tony Sperano was who went on to be the Dolphins head coach and. Um, Oakland Raiders. He was in the league for a long time. Was my line coach at the time, and and just an amazing guy. And Coach Palmer went on to be the head coach and uh, with um, with Cleveland Browns and be in the league for a very long time. He was our head coach at the time, and um, we had a great bunch of players. We won a lot of games, and I made it to the NFL. I was an All American, and and I played forty four college football games. But it all hinged on that one class that I needed to pass, which at the time. I guess you look back at it now, you're like, holy cow, that was kind of makes for a good story. But at the time I was, I just didn't, you know, I didn't comprehend uh, the level of what, of what it was. Um, and uh, I met my wife at the college and we've been married for almost 30 years with, with four children that we raised together and, and still married and, and um, life is good. So that's where it started. It didn't start off too smooth, you know, um, Ended up playing over in Europe for 20, 22 games over in Europe and then got into coaching and, and had a had a pretty good career after that. So um, I, I just, it, it's, we all have different paths, you know, and that just happened to be my path. It wasn't an easy one. Um, it's certainly, no one has an easy one. We all have obstacles, whether we come from single family homes or, you know, whether um, we have injuries like you had. You know, there's always these obstacles that everybody has to overcome and no one has a clear path or a clear road any of their careers but it's kind of you know just like what you're doing you're just not wasting your talent you know you're applying it and your passion and you're figuring out how do you bring value to people how do you value life so um at that time in my career um you know it was it was um it was pretty interesting because i didn't have a plan you know i i never grew up dreaming about playing in the nfl um i just enjoyed playing you know and it was never a goal of mine to my goal in life was to become a truck driver because that was the bar that in the area that I grew up in, that was the bar. If I could become a truck driver, a union truck driver, <laughs> you know, and get a pension, that was the goal. And that's just the reality of life. Sometimes, you know, you're a product of your environment and uh, that was it for me. So to continue on and play um, over in Europe and get into coaching, that's um, that, that. I guess that's the best way to kind of sum up that part of my life, which seemed so long ago. And I never wanted that part of my life to define who I was as a person. You know, that was a nice time in my life, um, and I enjoyed it very much. And I'm happy that the woman I married was very much a part of it along with me. Um, and um, but I didn't want it to define anything I did the rest of my life. So. Um, that was kind of the next step. And I remember my last game over in England. I remember taking off my helmet for the last time, knowing that I, this is it, I'm done. And I just remember saying, oh, man, that was one hell of a ride, <laughs> you know. And, boy, am I so grateful and lucky to be able to do that. 
you know, and that's it. So I, I wasn't that guy that, you know, was the last cut in training camp or blew my knee out or, you know, had one of those kind of injuries to end my career. That wasn't it. I was just, I, I went further than I thought I was going to knock on wood. And I had so much fun in, in the people and I stayed healthy for all those years and, and um, very, very grateful for that. And it was, I knew it was time to move on in my life. Yeah. I mean, that's a incredible story and thanks for sharing your experience. Uh, yeah. I got a few questions based off sure. of you know that part of your story. Mm-hmm. So before you started describing that you struggle with dyslexia before you really knew it, I wrote down, like, did you struggle in school, you know, because your identity was in sports or was it just because you just struggled in school? Um, but it sounds like it's just because you had dyslexia. school. Yeah. yeah. You just yeah. didn't know. I love um, going to school every day. I loved it. You know, yeah. and if I could, if school could have been longer, I would have been there. I loved it. It was fun. Right. You know? And, um, it wasn't, yeah, it was, it was, I was afraid to, and I mean, I realized this back in like grammar school and I just, I realized that, um, I was afraid to, to answer a question if a, if a teacher asked me, I would come in with anxiety in the class saying, please don't pick, don't pick me to answer a question because chances are I was not listening to what she was saying or he, right. And I just remember the anxiety, but I do remember at that time too, was the one thing about having dyslexia when it shuts down your brain or it speeds it up as well, the other side of your brain, just your, your creativity explodes. And when you see some skills or some traits, some, some um, consistent traits across entrepreneurs and especially creative people, most of which a lot of them also have dyslexia. And it's not a learning disability per se. It's just the way your, your mind just speeds up and, Think, you know, dyslexia, ADD, it all goes together. And it's really, but, but, but what happens is that creative side, what I found personally, and it might not be that like that with everybody, but what I found my creative side has always been what has helped me with my career. Creative side of my intuition of what people call street smarts, that has been like high level all the time. Like I'll be able to pick out and read the table and understand situations and just the sensitivity around people you know, emotions and people and having really good emotional intelligence was, I say, I may not have, I may have not had a high IQ, but my, but my emotional intelligence was always very high. And, um, that, that once I understood that part of it, um, and I, and I use that to my advantage, I knew in high school, if I could really be friendly with the teachers and not shut down with the teachers, um, and professors or teachers, professors in college, then then I know I could pass that way. I know I could sway them to pass me instead of just not saying anything and, and, and kind of communicating that. I'm sorry, I'm trying. It's just not sinking in. And um, I always say they, they just passed me through because they felt sorry for me. I, I was like the least of the nitwits in our, in our school. So <laughs> to get him out the door, you know? So anyways. Yeah, it's cool how you like you, it's something you weren't smart. It's like, yeah, you're just smart in different areas and you know how to play the game. And yeah. uh, that, that takes you far in this world, uh, to be honest. So uh, you're, you said that your professor in college in that summer class, mm-hmm. she, you said that she kind of like fixed your dyslexia. dyslexia. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, what did she do that, you know, made it easier for you to comprehend and to, you know, excel in school? She helped me understand what it was, number one. So it wasn't as much 
um, she fixed it. She, she allowed me to understand what the, my challenge was. And I think that's massive um, advice for anybody that's going through anything. It's like, you got to look at you first. Like, what is it that you're, that was my barrier. And she helped me understand that barrier and then how to get around the barrier and how to live with the barrier. And, but, but understanding what it was and the challenge it was like, Oh, it's like a 500 pound weight taken off my shoulders. Like that's what the issue is. And then, yeah, obviously you talk to more people and you get some help in some other, uh, other areas. Um, but it was kind of, you know, you weren't popping pills, you know, you weren't, you weren't taking any medication for it at that time. Um, you weren't kind of labeled anything other than like now it definitely would have been an ADD candidate, <laughs> you know, but I w was not hyper, um, hyperactive, but definitely with ADD. But um, she just un helped me understand how to recognize when I went down that kind of road of pay attention, focus, slow your mind down, focus on little pieces first. Don't look at the big picture. Just, just slow your mind down. And uh, it really helped. It, it was, it was challenging. I mean, it, would, it took me years to manage it. It's still, you know, I could still sit, I remember sitting in conference, you know, you sit in conferences and meetings and, you know, if they went any longer than 20 minutes, I got, I'm lost. I'm out there. I'm thinking about what I'm having for lunch. You know, yeah. forget about you, right? So, I'm the same way, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways. All right. And another interesting point I, you know, heard you talk about was you, you did theater when you were in uh, high school? Uh, in junior high. In junior high? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I always say a lot of my podcasts, like, I was too much in the world of like, I'm a tough guy. I'm like too tough to do theater. But in reality, like I would have loved every second of it. And like looking back, that's probably like my biggest regret was not doing something like that. Um, that's where all the pretty girls hung out, man. That's you're right. Goes back to those, that street smarts that you're talking about. Right. Right. It got you out of class and oh, it was, it was awesome. I was never on stage. I was always the back. I was a spotlight guy. I was oh, like, okay. yeah, I was a guy with the curtains, with the lighting. Yeah, nice. I got the, yeah, it was fun. It was in the spring. There wasn't much going on, so it was fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, so another interesting uh, piece that I listened to was at the end of your career, you said your last game, you know, in England, you, you were, you kind of were at this thing like, oh, wow, that was like a great ride. Um, yeah. I think I, mine was a little different circumstances, obviously, because I got hurt and I, I didn't really control when or decide when my last game was. It was decided for me. Yeah. But why do you think you were you went into that game with such a positive outlook on kind of what's next, or you know you weren't trying to hang on longer than you should have, like we see a lot of athletes uh, do? I think it goes back to self awareness. You know, I just I think it goes back to kind of you know there was always a you know um, a check point for me of kind of how far you can go and what your limitations are. You know, when you play that many football games, you play against some good teams, you, you see how good some of these guys are. And, you know, I was like, well, if I can't, you know, I'm struggling against that guy and, you know, he didn't even get drafted. What's it going to be like if I go to the next level? Am I really – am I good enough to play at that level? So um, there's a reality check. And it's kind of like in high school. High school, like, there's a lot of really good youth baseball players and football players and uh, softball players and then all of a sudden you get to high school it's the greatest equalizer right you're not that great 12 year old that mom and dad thinks you're going to be or 15 year old you got a high school and it evens off right those kids who are the little league all-stars aren't that good anymore or maybe they lost interest or high school's that college is 
there's, you know, you're, you're four or five, what is it? 5% of kids that play high school play NCAA. You know, you're not five or 6% of the kids that kind of come up. So um, I guess self-awareness for me was, was, uh, was critical in managing my own expectations of my lifespan of, of, as an athlete. Okay. And then also like speaking along the lines of having this self-awareness, um, you, you said that you didn't want this, you know, you played football for a long time. So, and you said that you didn't want this part of your life to define you. Was that like a conscious thing, like at the time, or was that, you know, a few months after a few years after you're still thinking that you're, you know, Rob Thompson, the football player, uh, you know, when, when did you kind of, you know, come to that realization? It's when I coached, I, I coached college for a little while. And I just remember there was a coach on the staff that uh, <laughs> he would actually make his, he would play his old game film and watch his players sit there so that he could show them how good he was. And yes. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is really, um, this is not who I want to be. I don't want to be that guy. Cause number one, you know, when you played, you don't care what guys, your coaches did 30 years prior. You have, you care less. Right. And so I was like, I didn't want to ever, I don't want to be that guy. People aren't interested in those stories. People don't, especially players, they do not care. You know, all they care about is you and it's like human nature, you know? So what value can you bring to me? And I don't know. So anyways, that's, that's where it was for me. I was like, man, I don't want to be that coach. <laughs> I won't okay. use his name, but I won't, I didn't want to be that coach. So right then and there, I said, ah, time to turn the page, start a new chapter. Did you think that going into coaching like reinforced the football identity or, you know, were you able to kind of separate the two? I didn't know what else to do. You know, I think it goes along to what you're trying you were asking me before. It's, I had no idea coming. I was a criminal justice major. I did my internship in a juvenile detention facility. I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do, you know, and after playing, I got a call um, from coach Barano actually and asked me to come be the line coach at Boston university. And I was like, my season was over there going into camp. My season ended in August and I'm like, I'll be there. And um, so it really wasn't, like I said, I had, I had no plan. <laughs> you know, I just kind of went along with what I thought was right. And uh, you know, so yeah. So that led me into coaching. That led me into coaching. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, during this transition while you were coaching, did you ever have any, you know, bouts that you were kind of struggling a little bit with, I don't know, Maybe you weren't liking the coaching thing or you weren't sure what's next or you, you know, you, did you ever have any like struggle during yeah, that time? I did. I, I couldn't not stand sitting in, in, in a dark room watching film at 6am or 5am. You know, for me, it was football was always kind of a feel. You got to be there. You know, you got to, you know, it was always, you know, it's always participation, you know, and to be a coach, now I had to think about it. You know, now I had to sit there and watch film and break down film and look at, look at the fronts and look at the blocking assignments for everybody, not just for one position, now five. And I realized, ah, this is not for me. I don't, that, this is way too much over my head for, for me to kind of to do that, you know, to learn a new offense again and all that. So I just realized I didn't like the day-to-day -day part of coaching. The, the development part of it or the process part of it. What I really liked when I really enjoyed was the recruiting and the scouting and the personnel side, because that just used the different side of my brain. You know, the coaching is, you know, it's just a very analytical 
detailed, step by step by step. It's a grind, right? Scouting and recruiting and player personnel and evaluation is not. You know, for me, it, it just, you know, again, it just matched my kind of my DNA and I knew that quickly. So, after, no, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so, I guess, what was the, the turning point when you decided that you maybe wanted to uh, go into entrepreneurship? And can you go that, down that part of your story? Yeah. So, um, my, my territory as a, as a college recruiter was California for, for BU. And I had to recruit. They gave me the JUCO schools out there. So, you know, now this is 1990 and, you know, there was no recruiting services. There was, you know, no internet. And there I am. I'm, I'm the old guy now telling the story. So, so what you would do is you would, you know, basically align with some folks within your network to say, Hey, who do you know at certain schools that you can say, I'm coming into California. I'm planning on a week trip. I need to know who the top 12 guys are who are identifying positions that we need. So I ended up finding this one gentleman who was a retired athletic director over at Santa Barbara Community College. And um, I went to his house. I flew out there. You know, him and I talked for a while beforehand. Here's what I said we're looking for. And I sat down and he had everybody listed out of those schools that would fall into our categories. You know, this is this kid. Get into the school. We're looking for skilled guys. And anyway, so we had to lay it out for him. So I was like, I went out there and I was like, this is brilliant. You know, so I didn't have to go to all the schools. I just went to the ones that I thought we'd have a chance of getting a kid to come out. And that's how I started the concept of East Coast Recruiting um, Services. So I came home from that trip. And right at the end of spring, I said, I'm starting up my own recruiting service. And I left, gave up coaching, got, went home, got married. And I started, um, I started recruiting. I, was, I went back to coaching high school. So I did coach high school that fall and um, started my own summer camps and started recruiting and then I started recruiting for all the teams over in Europe in Australia, American football. So I was getting college guys to go over to Europe and down in Australia and I was getting high school kids into colleges. So the teams, the, the, the model was the kids weren't paying for it. The high, the colleges were paying for it here in the United States and the international teams would pay me a fee to find the next amount of you know, different players and fell in love with it. Cause now at the end of the day, I felt like I'm helping you know, I'm really helping these these kids continue their careers, not, you know, into college and then into playing professionally like I did over in Europe. And I just, there was such a satisfaction in doing that. And the money was a secondary thing. And I just got married. It was my, you know, my wife and I, we were, I don't know, it was 23 and 24, maybe 23. And we just had our, having our first honeymoon, we had a honeymoon baby. So we had <laughs> months later after we got married, we got a baby coming. And here I am trying to figure out my life, trying to figure out my career, trying to, you know, understand, you know, where there's a place for me in this industry. And, uh, you know, quickly after about two years after we, we did a merger with a bigger agency, Athletes Incorporated. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and this is during the time where like internet wasn't a thing, right? Oh, there was. No. Yeah. Was faxing. So, faxing was cool back then. Oh, okay. So like, I guess I'm curious, like, you said you just like started this company, but like, what did that look like? Like, how did you get all this information about the different players and stuff like that and how they know to come to you and how'd you well, look at their game film or whatever? Well, back then, I mean, obviously it wasn't, it's not like it was, you know, a hundred years ago. So it was really just personal relationships and picking up the phone. You know, I didn't find out about this, this, uh, you know, the coach out there and, in Santa Barbara and less another guy in our staff said, give this guy a call, give him a call. What flew out there physically sat with him, you know, and that was the way we built it. And then I kind of, 
I, I went down to the uh, National Coaches Association convention, set up a booth and got to know all the coaches and told them my story. And there wasn't anybody else out there doing this at the time. I think there was, I think it was like, um, oh gosh, Street and Smith or whoever had the All-American, they kind of had a recruiting service as well. So it just, that's how it worked. It worked hand in, you know, hand in hand and phone call after phone call and building relationships. Um, and then having people, I think it was my father-in-law or, you know, help me understand, you know, what's an LLC, putting together an LLC, putting together a business structure, hiring an accountant, you know, getting, getting, a, um, uh, QuickBooks. It was, it was just, you know, it was that it was figuring it all out and asking people and finding some mentors and just bang in the pavement and building relationships and networking and networking. And then I had my, my group over in Europe, you know, just started with the team I played on and got to know other teams and it just grew from there. You know, same thing with Australia and, you know, so no, there was no, there wasn't a website. There wasn't, it was all done really by fax to be honest with you. Most of the business was done by fax and mail. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. How long did you do that for? I sold that business pretty quickly. Then I went to work for the other business for the company that bought us for about three or four years. Um, and then I went to work for the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what'd, you, then, what'd you do at the NFL? So I did all their youth development programs. This is 95. So um, got involved with them by volunteering, volunteering for the new NFL play football, which was, which is still around now. Um, but it was the NFL flag program that they were launching in, um, yeah, in 2000. I'm sorry, 1994, 1995. And um, so my job was to set up all the NFL flag leagues throughout the country, um, put on every camp, clinic, tournament, anything, any special events that had to do with, you know, the Super Bowl, the draft, everything, Pro Bowl. Um, I did that here in the U.S. and then I went over to the international division and we did it um, internationally for another three years on top of that over in um, Southeast Asia, um, South America, Canada, and Europe. Yeah. Wow. And th- yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious cause I'm big into health and safety and stuff like that. So you were kind of doing some grassroots stuff with the NFL mm-hmm. from an early time. Yeah. Um, I guess what well, I'm curious of like your opinion on the current state of uh, health and safety in the sport of football. Cause I'm, I'm pro football. I love football. If I could go back and play a thousand times over, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would play a lot differently than how I played and I would be honest about when I was hurt. Uh, but other than that, like I would, I love the game. Um, so I'm curious what your opinion is on the state of health and safety in football and where you see it going. That's a great question. Um, I think uh, there's more injuries in women's soccer than there is in football. There's more injuries in hockey than there is in football. Um, but football head injuries are massive injuries and you potentially could die from them as you know. And I, so I think that's the biggest burden just because, you know, guys are bigger, faster, stronger, you know, especially the DBs and the skill guys that they've ever been before because the collisions are harder. Um, so I think just think the nature of the sport, you know, um, of, how they're teaching tackling now, I think is, you know, the rugby style tackling the the kind of the wrap, the grab and take down other than I'm going to spare you. <laughs> there was no wrap, grab and take down. There was just, I'm going to spare you and I'm going to hit you with your, with our head. It was, you're leading with right here. And that's, 
I think that's changed a lot just based on, uh, on, on science and physics, <laughs> you know, just bigger people and stronger people running around and faster people running around now. So um, I don't know if it's, you know, I, 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 I think the, I think the diagnosis now is quicker than it's ever been before. I think people are more mindful to it now. So unfortunately you had to go through a phase where it has become a major issue, which you went through. Um, but now I think anybody that gets a little bit dinger, I think the protocol is more strong, stronger than it was. I just, I remember after games, I couldn't even lift my head up without getting dizzy, you know, and seeing stars. And that would happen time and time after for years, you know, and just looking up and put my tilt in my head. I couldn't even go out after games half the time. I had to stay home because I was so sick. And it just, I don't know if those were concussions at the time. Maybe I did. Maybe I don't have dyslexia. Maybe it was just concussions. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But um, so, yeah, it's a major issue. But I think it's a major issue. It's not just with football. I think it's, I think it's across the board. I think soccer and hockey have, and, and women's lacrosse have bigger issues than football. And those are just, those are real numbers that you could Google and see yourself. Because I just, I just had this discussion on our, in our um, podcast show. So, Interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. So kind of, I know we diverted a little bit from the entrepreneurship yeah. thing, but I got another entrepreneurship question. Yeah. Do you think that athletes make good entrepreneurs? Cause a lot of guys, you know, or, and girls, once they're done playing or they're done with school, you know, is entrepreneurship a good option for them to kind of, you know, fill that void that might, might be there. That's a great question. Yes. Um, as a career mentor at the university, um, I do have that, uh, that conversation quite often. Number one is because the, the entry level to become an entrepreneur is a lot um, easier, number one, because there's access to information and resources and there's access to scale your business quickly because of the internet, thank God, and social media. Um, and it's the price points to, to be an entrepreneur are a lot, um, there's a lot less of a risk because you could do it as a passive in income or a side hustle. Um, and you could do it sitting at home in a coffee shop. You could not do that years ago. You had to show up in an office or be somewhere. You could not do, you didn't have access. Um, so yes, I think, I think as entrepreneurs become um, influencers in YouTube, like Gary Vanderchuk, I think he's a name that, that pops out at me because I, I, I love what he does and people see what he does. And some of these other folks that are out there, and then you look at from a gaming and esports standpoint, you see a guy like Ninja and some other folks that are out there that are becoming millionaires off of what's happening and and uh, what's happening in, in the digital space. So, um, yes, I think being an entrepreneur is a very realistic option. I think working for a startup for a lot of kids coming out, I think especially if there's equity involved, I think they're willing to take that risk. Um, and I think that's a viable option. Now, do I think um, athletes are, um, I guess, have better um, a foundation to be an entrepreneur? Um, in a lot of ways, yes. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, a different skill set that you would need for it, but I think the one thing about athletes is they understand the process. And they understand the wins and losses are going to happen. They've, they, they've, they're used to that now, um, that things are going to be challenged, that they can face with and overcome. 
Um, they're used to going through that four years of, you know, a grind, get up and grind, get up and grind, get up and grind. So I think in, in intuitively, yes, I think they're, I would, I would bet on that jockey a little bit more maybe than someone that, you know, sat in a dorm room and smoked weed and played video games for four years, you know? So I hate to say it that way, but that's the, that's the truth. Um, but yeah, I, they have a huge advantage, especially, especially female student athletes. Why especially females? They're more detailed. They're more linear thinkers. They're more focused. They're ready to go. They, they, they graduated. They're ready. 90% of them, they're shot out of a cannon ready. You know, they're, they've been prepping for that. You know, they're not thinking playing professionally. They're thinking what's next, right? That's how they became, you know, a four year. They're just, they're, they're wired differently, you know, um, not all guys that way, you know, so, um, but majority of female student athletes, student athletes that I find 100%, you know, they're already two years ahead. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so do you think that entrepreneurs are like born or is it a skill that can be learned? Uh, I, you know, I think I hear that a lot. And my intuition is there's definitely kids that there's definitely when you're younger, you know who the hustlers are, you know, who are the kids with the paper outs, who are the kids selling candy, who are the kids charging a five bucks at the high school cake party. Those are the entrepreneurs, you know, anybody who's flipping, um, you know, um, trading cards and, you know, trying to figure out how to make a little bit of money. Listen, those guys that were, I hate to say it this way, but the guys that were, you know, that were selling weed in high school that, you know, was the white kid and whatever, you know, they're entrepreneurs. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the, probably the best way to say it. I probably should have filtered that a little bit, but it's the truth. You know, they're looking to make money and to generate revenue. And if they intuitively have that in them, not because they need to, but if they intuitively have that in them, um, then you know who they are. But I, I think 80% of entrepreneurs, you're born to be it. I think the other 20 is by default you become, you know, because you may be creative and you've kind of figured it out or you landed in something that you're in the right place at the right time. And you had the right skill set for it. So, you know, yeah, hmm. I, I, I think you're born for it. Okay. Um, so I'm curious about your advice for athletes um, who are looking for trying to figure out what's next. I know you have um, your game plan, you uh, program. I was wondering if you could speak a little more to that. So um, game plan, you was really developed to be that bridge of discovery. And I find that most, and I know I was the same way too, but I think most kids going into a college situation, they don't 100% know what they want to do. And a lot of times because they don't actually understand what that industry is, regardless of what the industry is. And, and to use sports as an example, it is a pretty cool industry to go into. That's why there's 360 colleges, probably more than that, that offer sport management to, as a degree. And when you get into it, you really don't know where you fit in. You may think, and I'll ask kids all the, you know, our students all the time, the first question is, what do you want to do? You know, well, I want to be the general manager of the Yankees. Well, so does a lot of other people. Yeah, there's one of those out there. Right, right. So it's always that or I want to be on TV. And, and rightfully so. You don't know as an 18, 19-year-old, 17-year-old. And a lot of times if you're undecided or your parents don't really know or they're not kind of pushing you to a certain degree, well, sport management kind of sounds like an interesting thing to study. So our first thing that we do is with, um, with the program is – we create a, a, a multiple step process that really digs deep. So the first, first is an assessment, is, it, is, a, is a self-assessment on them. 
as a as an 18, 19, 20 year old trying to figure out where they fit into this world. And a lot of that is what barriers have they had growing up? You know, what are their goals and what are their dreams? Um, what experience have they had? What are, what are their interests outside of the sports industry? Because those dots always kind of come back to connect. What do they do? What are they doing right now in the digital media space that's important? What are they like in there? Because that's obviously, you know, where the future of distribution of content that's coming from and broadcast is coming from. It's kind of, it all is the foundation is based right there in that space. So I want to see how savvy they are there. Then, but the big thing is like, tell me your story. You know, just like you told me your story. Tell me your story. Let me understand that. That way I can get a better picture of you and your x-ray of who you are. And then we can figure out what is going to be the things that are going to be more important to you as far as your purpose and your passion. Let's try to match those things together. But the other piece of that is discovery. So let's really discover the industry. A lot of times at a, at a university, and you know this because you went through it, when you get professors that have experience in one field, you're going to walk out of that class that, well, that's what I want to do. I want to go into sponsorship sales or I want to be in facility management, you know, but then you get another professor or a public speaker who comes in and talks about working for an agency. You know, I've done activation. We represented Gatorade. We represented BMW. And when you travel all over the country going to music festivals and NFL games and college football tailgate, well, that sounds kind of cool. I, wanna, I, I feel like, how can I do that? So it's the discovery process because I always say you have to, fi you're going to figure out what you hate doing long before you discover what you love to do. It all happens to all of us. And that discovery process may take you much further out past your graduation. Chances are it will take you much further out past your graduation. So those kind of, those steps, there's, there's that discovery step, and then there's an immersion step. You know, it's like, and Anthony Bourdain had the greatest quote ever that's related to career development. He said, before you want to, you figure out how to be on the, the food network and be a celebrity chef. Go work in a really busy olive garden, <laughs> right? And see if you're just like being in the kitchen. And I say the same thing to our career seekers who are looking to get into the sports industry or even in the entertainment industry is volunteer. Go volunteer at a 5K. Go volunteer for your minor league baseball team. Go volunteer at the VFW or at the VFW, the YMCA. Volunteer for any 5K that's out there. Volunteer for the Special Olympics. Because the blocking and tackling of the event business is all the same. It's marketing, promotion, it's executing the event, and it's data capture, it's activation, and, and it's taking that event and kind of creating sustainability to it. It's all the same, right? Don't matter if it's a Super Bowl or if it's a 5K. The blocking and tackling, just bigger numbers and bigger scale, but the blocking and tackling, you still have to put the event on. So see if you like it. Do you like getting up at five o'clock in the morning and putting up a tent in South System and it's raining out and it's cold, right? And working 12 hours and guess what? You're only getting, you're not really getting paid much, you know, but this is the industry, figure that out. So um, that's the, it's, it's a little bit of a journey that um, I, I kind of go on with them. And so the immersion piece is, is really, really important. And then the networking piece and fine tuning, how do you get in contact with people that you want to get in contact with? You know, how do you utilize Twitter and social media channels, not just to post selfies, but how do you, how do you build relationships with people that you really want to meet? And um, so that's, that's, that's what I do within that, that range. But yeah, I don't yeah, know. It sounds like a, 
Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like a great service. Um, and really in depth with each uh, individual to kind of cater it to their needs too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I told you before, like I'm a sport management major, got my, you know, undergrad and, you know, masters in sports management. And I think a lot of the reason why is because when I was thinking about, I don't know if it was my identity or whatever, but like sports always brought me energy. And I love being around sports and everything like that. So I kind of just naturally kind of gravitated. I was a student manager for the football team for four years when I was at Rutgers because I couldn't play. Um, I just like being around the game and stuff like that. But yeah, like you're saying, you make no money. You, uh, <laughs> you're waking up at 5 a.m. to, you know, clean jock straps off the ground after the end of the game. And it's like, you know, but uh, I think I came to the realization eventually that it wasn't the sports part that necessarily like I like playing sports. Like the jobs in sports didn't necessarily like do it for me is yeah, I had to try to find my passion and, you know, align it with something else. And that's kind of how I came across the doing the podcast. So, mm. um, all right. So do you, based off of that experience, like my own experience, mm. do you think that an athlete going transitioning to another job in sports is a good idea or a bad idea? Or, cause I think a lot of, times with mine like with me being a student manager that was like an attempt by me to try to hold on to that football identity for like just a little bit longer yeah i can still wear the gear around campus like all yep. the guys i'm going mm -hmm. on the trips i got the bowl rings like mm -hmm. you know to me that was just like prolonging something that should have ended you know four years ago <laughs> nah you're in the discovery right you weren't giving up on it you're in the discovery you wanted to see if it if it was for you you know, and how do you fit into it? Was it going to be, you know, as a trainer or as the, you know, as a manager or doing the video, you know, or football operations, which, you know, you were in equipment manager, you know, there's so many video, there's so many ways to make a living uh, facility management, you know, so you're going to be out. There's so many great ways to do it and be a part of it. You know, the great thing about it is at the end of the day, 80% of the sports industry is like every other job. You're at a desk, you're on a plane, you're meeting with people in conference rooms, you're putting together sales presentations, you're organizing. And then that 20%, that 20% of the time of that game, you know, you win a big game, you're on the plane or you're at a bowl game. And there's those magical moments where all that work you did is so different than what anybody else could do or want to do or, or, or didn't have the, the, the career or goals that you had and you experienced that, you know, and finding where you fit into it, which gives you more, forget passion. Cause we all have passion about something, but it's all about purpose. You know, how did you make that experience for those Rucker players better by you being there and being positive and being a great guy? And I'm sure they all loved you, you know, and you were probably the guy that they all bitched to about, coaches and things that were happening you're in the weight room with them probably and you got to know them really well and and you brought them a better experience you know and that was that was your purpose you know where you didn't think at that time in your life when you suffered that injury you know and following that purpose now with bringing other people and and like what you're doing here you're sharing you know, thoughts on, and hopefully I'm sharing the same thing with people who get inspired by it. So your purpose is much deeper than you think, man. Your purpose is what you're doing right now, you know, and if you could figure out again in the sports industry, how that's going to happen, just like, you know, my purpose was helping 
kids extend their careers. Um, so I think that's such a huge message to everybody in this. It's find your purpose, your passion. You know, you tell me you want a job because you're passionate about baseball. Well, everybody is. We're all, we all work in the industry. You know, what's your purpose? Would do, do you really like to provide great experiences for guests and fans and your sponsors? I mean, deep down in your core, is that what you really, what keeps you coming back and banging phones and banging phones and getting people to buy tickets and, you know, having those 5 a.m. wake-up calls? Well, my purpose at a 5K is I want to make sure that every last one of these runners has an experience that they'll never forget. Bingo. Right. That's what you want. That's what you want to believe in. So, I feel like passions fade, but purpose, I feel like, yeah. is definitely more uh, longer lasting. So that's a yeah, good point. Um, I mean, as a professor yeah. and being a, a former athlete, being in the recruiting world, like, yeah. do you have any success stories to share of you know, athletes who made really successful uh, transitions to, to life after sports? I mean, I know successful is like kind of relative to the person, you know, whatever yeah. success means to them. But do, do any stories stick out to you that could you know, serve an example to an athlete listening to this? Um. There's a bunch of them. I don't know if anybody you wouldn't know their names, but actually, I, I got a good story for you. Mar, um, Marquise Ogden, Jonathan Ogden. He was the old. Uh, remember Jonathan Ogden? He was the lineman for the the Ravens. Okay. His brother. So not a lot of people know about his brother, but his brother um, was a Division two player. His younger brother. And his younger brother was always chasing his older brother. You know, his older brother was a. Uh, Played Division One. I, I where did he play at Michigan? Maybe I don't remember where Jonathan played. Um, and then he played. He was a Pro Bowl player. Played on a Super Bowl. And his and his younger brother came up. Played at Howard, a one double A school. Uh, I think he signed as a free agent. And he bounced around from team to team to team. You know, he ended up playing for a year or two with his brother in Baltimore. But it was always that little brother syndrome. You know, and he ended up. Um, getting done playing, and he started a construction company, and he was a builder, very, very smart guy, very wise guy, and, and always had um, mentors and wanted to be an entrepreneur, started this construction company, and it ended up getting very, very successful, and then it, it quickly failed um, by some bad moves. And he picked himself up, brushed himself off. He said at one point his lowest level was because he had a wife and two children, was sitting on the curb, because he was, he was working on a janitor at his old, I think, high school. And this was after having an NFL career. I mean, he hit rock bottom. He lost all his money with the construction company. And I remember him, he, he tells a story that he just hit it. And he was like, well, you know, I was chasing trying to be that former. I lived my life trying to be that former NFL guy, being that guy who was, my, you know, in my brother's shadows. And I just had to be me. I just had to figure out who I was. You know, and if I could figure out who I am and have my own path in life, then I'll get there. And he did. And he brushed himself off and he started, you know, training and working with following his purpose, working with uh, young high school kids and um, training them, um, strength and conditioning, having camps. Then he became, by default, he became a public speaker. And now he wrote a book and now he's telling his story and he's, and, and he's figured out his inspiration but his inspiration and how his messages to people is exactly what I'm, t I'm saying in the sense that, you know, you have to find your own purpose and you have to find your own direction. You have to discover things that you may 
that you don't like first before you land on things that you, that you love doing. Um, there is no right path, you know, crap happens in our lives that we don't anticipate, you know, but the, the, the ability to stay with it and to hang in there is the things that's going to overcome anything, especially athletes when to your point and to Jonathan or to, you know, to Marquise and to myself in a certain sense, when you come out of playing, um, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain ego and certain thing that, you know, you have that, that kind of carries you through. And then when it's all done, right, it's all done. It's like, now what, where's, what am I being identified for? I was identified for so long of playing a particular sport, you know, and now that's not there anymore. And there's a lot of people that struggle with that. You know, there's a lot of people that struggle with that and coming out. And I think I, I did too, you know, the, even, even after I told you, this, you know, that, that I definitely did. I had identity issues with it for a little while, you know, and uh, it hurt because you're used to be a part of a team and now you're not anymore, <laughs> you know? So and working in business and industry, there is no team in any business you work for. <laughs> there's a bunch of M&Es, there's a bunch of me's. So get used to that part of it. But yeah, no, there's a huge transition um, that a lot of people can, that can't, um, that can transition out of it. I think sports is, an, is a natural um, getting into the sports industry. I think 75%, I saw this survey, 75% of executives in sports played at least high school athletics. Um, so that's, you know, it's natural, you know, that's where your contacts are. That's the industry you've known and rightfully so you deserve to be there. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I've been interviewing a lot of like beyond football, you know, coordinators. And I, I think of this uh, one lady, uh, Tobruk Blaine, she's the beyond director of beyond football at San Jose state university. And she does like this incredible program. And those kids that are playing there are extremely lucky to have her kind of be the guide and to give them those experiences and uh, to bridge the discovery, kind of like what uh, you were talking about before. But it got me thinking, like, who's ultimately responsible to, like, help the athlete prepare for life after the sport? Is it the leagues? Because I see the NFL kind of coming up with – and the NFLPA coming up with different uh, programs like this. Mm -hmm. Is it the schools? Uh, you know, a lot of people are having these beyond football programs popping up. I think the San Jose State University one's much different than the others. Um, in a good way. Uh, is it the parents or is it the athletes themselves? I was curious, you know, what your opinion is on, on that. It's hard, as you know, when you're an athlete, um, number one, they can't, they, they, they can't study abroad. <laughs> you know, they can't, a lot of times they can't have a real, um, internship. Um, you know, cause they're still playing during the off season. They're still playing in elite, you know, a AAU and all that. So, it's or they're just not leaving campus. Um, so they're doing their best to do what they went to that school for is to get an education and to play a sport, which is two full time jobs. So for them to really start thinking about what's next when it's all over, like I said before, female student athletes, I think have a little bit more. There's a little bit more. There's not really a, you know, except for maybe, you know, except for maybe women's basketball, but there's not really a what if, what's next. So they're already thinking about that. Um, where I think it's on who, I think it's a combination of things. I think the colleges should require, because there's a lot of courses that you just don't, you know, 
there's, you just don't need you know, that, that, that they make core curriculum classes. But there should be a course as soon as they come in, a career development course from freshman year, right? Just to make sure you're on track with, is this, you know, having a mentor? And a lot of schools now, including us, are starting to create these, these alumni-based mentorship programs. So it's, it's matching up students. It's part of what Game Plan U is, too. There's a Game Plan U Connect where it's matching up, matching up these career seekers and these students with, with alumni mentors. And... Um, and executive mentors and figuring out if this is, you know, if you can't go and do an internship, but you know, are there different ways that you guys that you could connect and you can ask questions and, 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 you know, you have to take it on as yourself as an initiative, but you have to provide that support and service for, I believe students and student athletes in general earlier on. And, and most schools offer that. But now I think because the cost of going to school, is especially, you know, when, you know, there's 70% of student athletes do not get any kind of athletic scholarships. So when you're paying that kind of money to get an education, you know, you need to say what's next. And that investment and that debt that you're going to have leaving, you know, you need to be able to look at, from a school's perspective, how can I help these students? You know, not all of them are going to utilize the services. That's the hard part. But if you make it mandatory and required as a career development course, as part of your four-year process, um, then I think that's one way to do it. Now, if you're lucky enough to go into the NFL or NBA or play professional sports, um, and I know the players associations do a really good job at that. Um, the players associations also offer, and Marquise will tell you, they, get, they invested in his new, his, you know, they helped him get off uh, when he hit rock bottom. Um, the NFL Players Association came to his rescue and, and helped invest in his next startup, you know, to get, his, get him back on his feet again. So the leagues, I think, are, are there with that part of it. I think it comes down to the individuals, you know, um, the, individual, the individual athletes at the end of the day. They, they, you can only do so much, you know, can't blame anybody else but yourself. Extreme ownership, as they say. Get it. As yeah. Jocko would say. Yeah. Um, all right. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your sports dream playbook? So I wrote the book that that's, that's the version more for, for students, but the first book I wrote um, was, um, was uh, how to land a dream job. If dad doesn't own the team. <laughs> and it really was everything that, I mean, I, before I started this formally as a, you know, with, with this college, I was, I was just mentoring organically, you know, startups, entrepreneurs, career seekers, and so I was like, listen, if I could do this, you could do this. And here are the steps that are, are kind of fundamental steps that you could take. Get a mentor, <clears throat> you know, sharpen your skills, um, intern, internship, volunteer, you know, how to live your life really if you want to be a, prof you know, a business professional. These are things that you need to do in your life, whether it's read books and follow the business, become a student of the industry, you know, use your networking um, capabilities are out there. So. So the book was about those steps was there's some stories that I've told already. Um, there's some stories that I have from my mentors as well um, that came off of my podcast show. And it's a combination of all those. It's a really super quick read. It's on Amazon. I think it's just in Kindle now. Um, but the book, um, how to land a dream that, that the book now is, it's been down into a second or third edition. That's, that's a little bit more of a workbook in there um, for college age students. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I'll link the, that up in the, the show notes. Thanks. Um, so as we kind of uh, wrap things up here, where can everyone connect with you online and kind of follow your work? I know you have the podcast, so maybe yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So the podcast is, um, is the, uh, sports biz, the sports biz radio, um, which we just rebranded. And that is, we have a private group on Facebook. We do a weekly show. So it's a little bit of a business, a little bit of lifestyle. And then uh, it's also on YouTube on uh, sports biz radio on the YouTube channel and then um, everything. So um, sports biz, uh, radio.com is our website, but to get in touch with me personally, it's robthompsonlive.com. So I have a website on there. All our programs are, are on there. We have an event coming up in Orlando. It's called Sports Biz Startup Weekend. So we're bringing together startups, start over students, educators, investors, innovators are all coming together in Orlando uh, June 24th and two, um, June, or January 24th through January 26th. And that's going to be a weekend celebration of, of um, insp- insp- inspiration, um, connecting with other like-minded individuals, and an education portion. So we're going to bring in a ton of great uh, speakers in the industry. Some are everybody's attached to the sports industry, so a lot of sports tech startup um, founders, uh, folks that have been in the industry for years. Um, influencers, uh, a couple big name folks as well that are going to be released later on. So it's going to be a, a, really a place to um, listen to other folks that are in the industry, that are startups in the industry, um, a combination of, of um, I guess, Marquise, I think is going to be there as well. Um, so you're going to leave there inspired and hopefully with some great ideas and learn something to help you if you are that entrepreneur that wants to start a business and I don't mean to make this so salesy, but I get excited about it because it's going to be a cool event. If you know, I just remember starting that business and it's like, now what do I do next? Now what do I like? How do I do it? I'm inspired. Yeah, you're great. You know, you know, you, you've started these big industries. I, I loved reading about them through the years, but how do I do it? Like what is my step-by-step process by taking my idea and creating something out of it, figuring out how much it's going to cost, trying to sell it and trying to scale a business. This weekend is going to be your opportunity to do that. Um, so, so you can go on robthompsonlive.com. You can find out more information about it. If you are a student, we have student prices and weekend prices and we'll have hotel uh, stay and play options as well. So it's, it's pro bowl weekend. So there's really, uh, there's no football going on that weekend. So, and who doesn't want to go to Orlando in the winter, you know? So exactly. Yeah. Nice. So, um, before I ask my yeah. classic question that I ask everyone, which is what's your definition of toughness? Yeah. I remembered that I want, you said that you were pretty injury free throughout your football career. And I was wondering, do you attribute that to luck or is, did you, you know, approach the game in a different way that you think kept you a little safer or was it, you know, you were into your recovery? You know, what, what was your secret? I think it's luck. Um, I thought I was always prepared going into the season, um, you know, physically. So, um, I think that had something to do with it. I think I had a pretty good motor. So, I mean, and as an offensive lineman, you know, it's really was a lot of knees and ankles and right shoulders and stuff. So, um, I just, I think, I think luck was 90% of it. To be honest with you, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I don't disagree to be honest with you, you know, I mean, it's banged up little stuff. Yeah. So you know, there's little stuff, but even now today my, you know, not much, my wrist, maybe my neck, 
bothers me a little bit, but I don't know. I was just very, very, very lucky. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'll ask the question. What is your definition of toughness? And I always, the reason why I ask is because for me, the definition of toughness has changed a lot from the time I was 17 to the time I am now. Mm. Um, so I'm always curious what my guest's perspective is on what toughness really is. Toughness to me was to be able to live a life um, that you want to live by honoring and supporting and loving the people around you and doing it um, with 100% character. And that's tough. You know, that's that's a tough thing to do. It's it's easy to give up. It's easy to not be there for, have children and walk away because it just gets, it gets challenging. You know, it's easy to get divorced because you don't see eye to eye with your wife or your spouse anymore. But last, you know, live up to the promise that you made, you know, live up to your responsibilities when you have kids, you know, um, if you could do that, you're tough. I love it. That's an awesome definition. And uh, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast, share your knowledge um, and give the listeners advice on, you know, how to make their, their next step uh, to their transition to whatever it might be. Um, And Thanks for all that you do. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.